Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Hey, Ray. Hey, Marcus. How you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Woke up a little bit sore after a big bike ride yesterday and did what I tend to do when I wake up really sore is grab a little CBD and I'm feeling better. That's good. You know, our joints don't take exercise and extreme activities very well the older we get. And a lot of people who are younger are experiencing the same thing. That's why we're pretty excited about our sponsor, 1CBD. And a lot of people seem interested in the fact that 1CBD is consciously created. They use 100% organic sources. They employ a holistic removal of all the THC. And they select the best strains. And the strain is very important when working with controlling pain. They are also halal and kosher compliant. They are non-GMO. They are made in the USA. And we've set it up so that you can save 20% off your first order when you use the code BALANCE. I I don't know. We're we're imbalanced, but we're using the code (laughs) BALANCE, so keep that in mind. You go to onecbd.com, that's O-N-E-C-B-D.com, and they're at OneCBDLife on Twitter if you want to follow them there. CBD in all forms, liquid, gel caps, and they give you the choice. All you have to do is hit their website, OneCBD.com. It's OneCBD. Manage your pain and achieve a renewed sense of balance. Ray Coob and Marcus in the darkest here. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic in yourself, my friend. I just realized how ironic it is that I just casually called you buddy because that's what today's episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll is all about. Friends? Buddy. Holly? Exactly. Nice. He's one of both of our favorites. And we were talking about it on the episode of Five Favorites. And you really showed me a lot more about your interest in Buddy Holly, which has been ingrained in me from the cradle. So it's kind of cool to sit here and talk about the man who became, I don't know, nerd cool. Is that a good way to look at it? 
definitely nerd cool and that nerd cool is kind of punk rock in some ways because of the attitude that went with nerd cool the guys in the leather jackets and the white t-shirts with the th- collars turned up and all that stuff cigarettes they rolled were up. also yeah cigarette pack in the sleeve <laughs> <laughs> they were also punk rock those kind of guys in the rock and roll scene all thought that charles harden holly was pretty cool too even though he was a skinny little guy with the big old glasses i always love seeing rivers cuomo from weezer who totally adapted that look early on and made it his own And it shows how Buddy Holly, through the decades and now into a whole other century, continues to be an influence on rock and roll, all by the age of 22. It's incredible what he did in his short time in the music world. And the fact that his and a few others ended so tragically on that same day is just heartbreaking because of what the three of them brought to the music world at that time. We'll get around to that, but first we got to thank our sponsors, Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro, serving the cure for what ails you since 2014, and 1CBD. Check them out online at onecbd.com. Can I give you some perspective for my family and my life and my approach to Buddy Holly? Sure. Buddy was born about a year after my dad. Now, my dad was more of a Sinatra guy. My mom, who was born two years later, she was all about Buddy Holly and rock and roll. Cool. I've had in my collection since I was a man in my 20s a a lot of my mom's uh, 45s. After she passed, I got the rest of them. But I always had uh, her Buddy Holly and Crickets records on Coral and Brunswick. All I can tell you is I learned some things about all that while we were looking into this episode about the man, Buddy Holly, with or without the crickets. And they influenced a whole lot of people at a key time in rock and roll as it was turning corner, really. Along those lines, you have one of the greatest quartets, if not the most influential and important rock and roll quartets of all time, taking their name as a takeoff or to show respect because they were influenced by Buddy Holly, that band being The Beatles. And you also have the Hollies who took their name from Buddy Holly as well. True that. You know, look, the guy was influential in the short time, and he didn't even live long enough to be in the 27 Club, buddy. I know, and to have those lives taken in such a freak way, it doesn't make sense if you really think about it. What they were bringing to the world at that time as far as music goes and how they were helping change the tide yes in a lot of ways to have it all just clipped out under from under you like that makes no sense that's the part of fate stuff that i have a hard time with 
it doesn't make sense. And they were people who were needed long beyond what they gave us. Let's fast forward from those early Halcyon days where he's recording and becoming an artist and making his name and go to the day the music died. For my mom's generation, that's the day the music died. February 3rd, 1959. I was a wee babe. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Three young singers who soared to the heights of show business on the current rock and roll craze were killed today in the crash of a light plane in an Iowa snow flurry. The singers were identified as Richie Valens, 17, Buddy Holly, 22, and J.P. Richardson, known professionally as the Big Bopper. The aircraft chartered from the Dwyer Flying Service crashed near Mason City, ironically the setting for the prominent musical The Music Man. The pilot, Roger Peterson of Clear Lake, Iowa, was also killed. The three singers had appeared at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa last night and were on their way to Fargo, North Dakota. Their small chartered plane crashed in a lonely farmyard about 15 miles northwest of Mason City. And the way it worked out, first off, also in there, in addition to the crew, was the Big Bopper. He was part of the review that was making the uh, making the rounds there with Buddy Holly, Richie Valens. Hello, baby. Yeah, this is the Big Bopper speaking. Hey, Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down wiggling a walk and a giggling talk. It was the winter dance party tour. And what did you say earlier? It would go down in history and be known as Rock and Roll's Tour from Hell, the Winter Dance Party of 1959. And it was because travel was difficult in the winter in that part of the country. Clear Lake, Iowa is the scene of the final moments for J.P. Richardson, the Big Bopper, Buddy Holly, and Richie Valens. It's one of those fate things. And you mentioned it earlier as we were getting into this. Holly didn't want to wait. He wanted to get to the next date. Everybody else was going another way. I think they were going to drive to a train and all that. And they, he was going to meet them there. He was going to fly ahead. I guess he had stuff to do, et cetera. Uh, Waylon Jennings, he gave up his seat. I can't remember if he gave it to Richie or JP. That's the way things went down. And that's why Waylon Jennings wasn't aboard the day the music died. The pictures were on the news. There have been songs and there have been books and all kinds of things that have been said about it and for a long time that kind of settled down until the movie the buddy holly story which is where guys your age really got excited about buddy in some ways right it was the 70s when the movie came out 78 i think and we yeah, were I, I was into it too tw- but 12 years old you, yeah yeah but, yeah but there were a lot of you that hadn't really heard of buddy holly and there you see gary Busey doing this whole guitar geek thing with the yep. glasses and the whole nine yards being it's, so cool and the way he was moving he was kind of like a nerdy elvis trying to yeah. shake his <laughs> hips in some way you like that will you hear this one let's do ali v i don't think we better buddy it's for the bumpers try vertigo hey ali v buddy i don't think we better hey i'd like to do this one for the bumpers those of you who bop 
I was lucky because my dad was really into Buddy Holly. His music was some of the music that I heard as a child growing up, along with he liked CCR, he liked Bob Dylan, he liked Neil Young because they wrote great songs and they didn't have exceptional voices, so he was really impressed with the fact that they could do that. And then he liked a lot of country music, Waylon, Willie, stuff like that, Alabama, Eddie Rabbit, Crystal Gale. Um, the Mamas and the Papas, we had a lot of Motown going on in our house as well. My dad was huge on Motown. So my mom grew up in Belleville, New Jersey. So she was into like Fabian and Frank and okay. Dino and all of them as well. So as a kid, it was fun singing See You Later, Alligator, After a While, Crocodile and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, so. sure. See you later, Alligator. Well, I saw my baby walking We had all that, those kind of crazy records in our house, too. There's a man in the funny papers we all know. He lives way back a long time ago. He don't nothing but a bear cat stew well this cat's name is uh Ali for me my earliest recollections are post february 1959 so a lot of it was uh, music my mom would put on her 45 player when she wanted to hear a little bit of buddy and uh, talk about some of those songs that really made buddy holly famous and immortal in a lot of ways Ray Cuban Marcus here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. The thing that got you, that got me, your dad, my mom, and millions of other people, the song, the songs of Buddy Holly, the songs of Buddy Holly and the Crickets, the songs of the Crickets, however you want to say it, right? Yeah. They made you move. They made you feel good. They made you uh, want to dance. They made and you they were really different. different. They weren't like Elvis. It wasn't, you know, high energy, sexual, however driven you know it was hey let's hang and dance and let's let's dance at the malt shop scooby-doo yeah. style Woo, you know scooby-doo <laughs> pre-scooby-doo now one of the things i've forgotten and then we started looking into this uh reminded me about the fact that that'll be the day which everybody knows everybody across his generations loves Crickets is actually the artist on the label. It was their only number one. Here's another thing that people don't really look at very seriously, but should. Buddy Holly, as well as Buddy Holly and the Crickets, however you want to label it, charted very well in the United States R&B charts. 
really well. That'll be the day hit number two. It was a song that they, uh, you know, that the R&B radio stations played. They spiked in Buddy Holly. And then he was the first white artist to play the Apollo Theater. And that's right. That's in the movie. It's in the movie. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. Let's have a nice round of applause for Mr. Buddy Holly and the Cricket. The way the crowd started laughing, like, what, when he came on stage. And then they just walloped that crowd with some feel-good rock and roll. And they sold the crowd on their music right away. It was really impressive that he was also a crusader for equal rights as well and really believed in equality amongst all people. So it said a lot about his character. It sure did. And that's kind of a career, as brief as it was, backdrop for him. He had it set in his mind, kind of the way you described it right there, Marcus. And then he comes back with a song that didn't do really too much then, but became a classic. Hold me close and tell me how you feel. Tell me love is real. Words of love you whisper soft and true. Darling, I love you. Mm-hmm. Words of love. And that's by Buddy Holly, not the Crickets. And it's on Coral, not Brunswick, which were both part of DECA, by the way, which Buddy recorded his first size for in 56. <laughs> so here's the thing. He had hooked up with Norman Petty, who gets credit for being the producer, even though you and I have discussed how Buddy had a lot more hands-on, in the middle of it, involvement in his music than a lot of people did in his time. Yeah, he completely changed the sound that the uh, label wanted him to have. He was like, no, these songs were meant to play this way. This is how we will record them. This is how we will play them. This is how it's going to be. And he did not back down. Then I found out why there are re-records done in that short period of time. It's only a period of a couple of years, really. But there were re-recorded versions in that aspect. They're the versions that Buddy basically said, fuck you guys, I'm going to do it this way. And watch, it's a hit. Bang. And he was right most of the time, as much as anybody could be. But then he has one of his biggest hits. It's a top five, number three. Both R&B and Hot 100, and Peggy Sue becomes this huge hit for him, even though it didn't top the charts. Huge! If you knew Peggy Sue, then you know why I feel blue without Peggy. My Peggy Sue, 
in those days, you hit number three, you were getting a lot of love from uh, radio all across the board. And then the next single's from the Crickets. It's the same guys, mm-hmm. right? But it's on Brunswick. That's that uh, purplish label. Doesn't go all the way, but it has a big impact in England with the double single, Oh Boy and Not Fade Away. Think about that. Now, Oh Boy with Buddy Holland and his Crickets. All of my love, all of my kissing, you don't know what you've been missing, oh boy. Oh boy, when they go with me, oh boy. Oh boy, the whole world can see that you are what are meant for me. All of my life, I've been waiting. Tonight there'll be no hesitating, oh boy. Oh boy, when they go with me, oh boy. Oh boy, the whole world can see that you are meant When the rockabilly thing takes off and... It, Oh boy becomes a standard for a lot of the guys like Robert Gordon that came along, right? Not Fade Away was one of the first songs the Rolling Stones grabbed and made their own. Absolutely. You hear Buddy Holly and all of those early British invasion rockers, without a doubt. And Not Fade Away is one of my favorite Buddy Holly and the Crickets tunes. Just a great jam. Great jam. It's almost like the two things, the Crickets and Buddy Holly as an act or an artist, would alternate having success with stuff. Because the Crickets would have a top ten hit, and then Buddy would come back with something like Rave On, which, you know, one of my favorites. Oh, what a great tune. Even... When I really first started listening to that and discovered that, and that wasn't from Mom's collection, it sounded contemporary and now to me, and it stayed with me all through the years. I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Are you going to give your love to me? And this is all through the year of my birth, buddy. I'm, I'm looking at all these records that are coming out uh, on, on the combinations of labels, and it was Petty that came up with the idea different artists that way you're not on each other's toes and meanwhile he was siphoning off everything he could uh and more than was his share from what everybody has said through the years and all the books and articles i've ever read so that's what it all comes around to and there he is 1958 he's one of the hottest guys in rock and roll right and he's so cool even though he's you know non-traditionally macho or anything like that he does real wild child uh he starts to have other records into 1959 it doesn't matter anymore I think that actually might have come out after he was gone uh, and becomes a huge hit. There you go, invited. Here am I, will you? Left me here so I could sit and cry. Well, golly gee, what have you done to me? Well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. It was re- No, it was released January 5th. So it came out. That was the song that was on the radio uh, when uh, was still a current, as you would say. When uh, the plane crashed, just uh, a month later, and then True Love Ways was later, and they a few years after his death. Look at all these songs that he released. Some people never get as many hits that they released after his death ever in their whole career. Just one of those sad rock and roll tragedies, and there's God knows been too many of them through the decades uh, since since the fifties when rock and roll really got to be as a lifestyle for the artists as well 
as a, a music style. That's true. It was a music style. It was a lifestyle. It was a sound that excited people. It excited most everybody. Even I think the people who complained about it and hated it secretly deep down in felt excited about it. And I think that excitement and that feels feeling scared the <laughs> shit out of them. Seriously. I say we change from the water that we're drinking and convert our beverages over to something tasty from Crooked Eye. You know, one of the things that I appreciate is anytime I go into Crooked Eye Brewery right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro, I always feel good. And that includes feeling safe about where we're hanging out. You know what I'm talking about, Marcus? I definitely know what you're talking about as during the COVID pandemic, it is important that people feel safe when they're going out and about. Very important. And Crooked Eye has that warm, safe vibe. And they're doing everything according to the governor's directions. They're, they, they know that that's what's in everyone's best interest. But they're still serving, Marcus. That's right. The takeout, your growler, your crowler, your 16-ounce cans, all still there. All the wonderful flavors that you love about Crooked Eye Brewery. And don't forget when you stop in to get your takeout brews, wear a mask. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that Pete and Paul and Jeff and everybody, and we're learning too, is that it's a constantly changing landscape when it comes to what's going on. So I would urge all of you to follow Crook and I Brewery on Facebook, and you'll find out just what's going on there today, tomorrow, next week, and as things change. Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014, and we thank them for their support of the podcast. We're back from Brewski's and ready to roll on Buddy Holly on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame takes a lot of shit, Marcus. But, you know, they got that first class right in 1986, and Buddy was in there. He should have been in there. He was one of the founders that deserved to be part of that inaugural class because of what he did. And it becomes another classic example that we talk about here on the podcast of what if and how much for how long would buddy have made even more amazing music he had already shown himself to be a man who could change with the times and that extended to his marriage right his marriage shows that he believed in all people and was completely against any sort of prejudice he found somebody who he completely fell in love with at first sight and had no cares about what her ethnic background was, what her religion was, any of that he didn't care about. He loved her. He saw her and he knew. It was one of those moments. And I give him mad props for being able to not only set a standard of artist involvement in the recording process in rock and roll, but to be able to socially do things the right way and do the right thing versus what stereotypical prejudices are, what societal stereotypes are. So mad props to Buddy Holly for being cutting edge in so many ways. They met along the same kind of path that you normally might think. She was working in the Brill Building at Pier Music, and that's how they met when he was starting to move towards New York. So he and Maria Elena Santiago connect, and then they have a date. Oh, my God. He was in town. He was recording, and he just met the girl of his dreams. Now, I think as much in Texas more than anywhere that he would be familiar with, their relationship wasn't 
readily accepted. And I guess there was some concern of that from other people in the business part of things, but he never showed it. He never felt that. They got married right before the plane crash, and it's hard to believe that their love was so strong that it was willing to go across all that. They had so little time not knowing that he was going to die in just a short time. There's no way of knowing that. Here's another thing, and I know the movie with Gary Busey playing Buddy Holly showed a little bit about how he had to jump through hoops with Maria's aunt to be able to win her over to give him a chance to be able to date Maria. And the fact that, you know, he did that again at a time where it was challenging for anybody and societally different for anybody to do any interracial dating. It just wasn't common and it wasn't socially acceptable and people got uncomfortable with it. And the hoops that he had to jump through were impressive. mm -hmm. And the fact that he won her over says a lot about it says a lot. Yeah. And the fact that her aunt being old school probably saw that and felt that and understood that aspect about it and understood how both of them felt. Because I can guarantee you while he was courting her, Maria had already had that talk with her aunt. They'd been married six months at the time of the day the music died. She learned about it on TV. She was pregnant and suffered a miscarriage shortly after because of the trauma of it all. We talk about trauma in rock and roll, but this is actual life, real life trauma. And of course, Buddy uh, was buried in Lubbock. They say she's never visited the grave. I couldn't understand that. So I went and I found a quote uh, that she gave a while back. It says, in a way, I blame myself which is a horrible thing to do to yourself. I was not feeling well when he left. I was two weeks pregnant, and I wanted Buddy to stay with me, but he had scheduled that tour. It was the only time I wasn't with him, and I blame myself because I know that if only I had gone along, Buddy never would have gotten into that airplane. That's some heavy shit, dude, no matter what age you are or how much time and maturity it gives you perspective. That's the part when I learned about it, Marcus, about the whole story, that when I really dug into it after I saw the Buddy Holly story movie, really made me angry. And it's kind of ironic that now in our country, we're feeling some of these same ridiculous tensions. We're all the same thing. We all bleed red. And we all love rock and roll. And one of the things I think Buddy Holly loved was that everybody seemed to dig his music. Everybody. They wanted to dance together. They wanted to hang out together. And that was something I think that he achieved in the short time that he had. And he was, in a lot of ways, a bridge between the R&B charts or the black charts, whatever they were called at that time, and the white rock and roll charts, because he, without social media, without Mm -hmm. video, without, you know, all of the Mm -hmm. easy ways to promote, people just loved his records and just loved his music. And back in those days, when radio cats loved the music, they played it. You mentioned Maria's aunt. Uh, who she went to live with because her mother died when she was 22 years old. So Maria went to live with her aunt who gave Buddy the permission. And uh, that was in New York City. And that's how she ended up there working at Pier. And that's how they met. It's just those things in rock and roll that bring people together. There's parts of the story that only happen because other things happen that put those people on the same train platform or in the same music publisher's office. And from Lubbock, Texas, and San Juan, Puerto Rico, they connected there. I got a feeling she still has that strong, strong feeling in her heart, even though it's all these years later. I think it says she's 87. Is that right? 
that's a long time to hold on to that. And I hope she's found a way to be able to come to peace at some point so that she can find some joy and warmth in her heart, which I hope she's been able to do since then, because living with stuff like that is heavy and it gets heavier the longer you hold on to it. So I hope she was able to release it. One of the things we're learning as we get older, right? How to let things go that don't matter. Yeah, you're right. Well, you know, Buddy Holly, he did start out in Lubbock, Texas. A uh, little old town there in western Texas. There's a, there's a statue and a monument to him there in town because they're still proud of what he did in rock and roll. And that's where, uh, when we were doing the Birthday Twins episode, that's where Bobby Keys intersected with Buddy Holly, was there at his grandparents' house. There's Whoa. a lot of you know his connections within the, the, the stories we're telling here on the mm-hmm. podcast, too. Again, at that time period, you see a lot more of the intermingling of the musicians. Phil Everly was at Buddy Holly's funeral. He had crossed paths with them. I think Buddy Holly had opened up for the Everly brothers. I mean, he was tight with Elvis. Elvis claims that Buddy Holly was one of his influences as far as songwriting and music goes. After opening for Elvis in the 50s, Buddy Holly influences him. That's just crazy. Well, he was doing a thing there in Lubbock with his pal, Bob. So his buddy and Bob was actually their group name. They actually did open for Elvis, and that's what made him realize that he wanted to do this as a a gig, as a career. Uh, They opened for Elvis three times that year, and they saw his musical style, the buddy and Bob. It started to slide towards rock and roll, which eventually would transmogrify into the crickets. But before that, they'd open up for Bill Haley and his comments. And I think the combination of those two elements, Elvis and Bill Haley, kind of seeped all into what they were doing. And really, rock and roll became the primary focus. And along the way, he hooked up with Eddie Crandall, helped him get a contract with Decca. And Decca is where he met Owen Bradley. And Owen Bradley helped him to get to Norman Petty, I think, in Petty had the idea of the different labels and the different artist names. And that way they were always making and releasing records, which is really, I think what buddy was really into. If you can gather anything from the studio process, he loved being in there. He helped to uh, innovate on double tracking and all kinds of stuff that was done in the studio. He didn't say, I can't do that. He said, how can we get it done? Yeah. And that's why he was an innovator. And that's why he, He's one of your five favorite first two albums. Absolutely. And if you think about it, the way Decca did it by releasing artists under different names or groups and solo artists in the late 50s seems to have been an influence on the Motown model as well. And you know that Barry Gordy learned from watching how the other people were doing because he read the charts, he remembered the numbers. And he paid attention to all the little things like the labels and things like that, studied it, and basically took his own statistics class by reading the charts and learning from it, and then used the successful DECA model for people like Buddy Holly to move Motown forward in that scene. It's so crazy how things happen here, and you're right about that with the way the Motown kind of started out with an idea of doing that same multi-label thing and it worked out pretty well for them that's for damn sure oh yeah but i'm also sitting here thinking about the whole deca as a base uh, yes with bradley who was known for producing already but he wasn't happy with how things were going in the studio so that's how he ended up seeking out norman petty at his studio down in new mexico 
for a demo session of a few tunes, including That'll Be the Day. That version, the demo version of That'll Be the Day, became a number one hit. Can you imagine the electricity and the magic in the room? Over the top electric. I mean, seriously over the top electric. You finish the take and you all look at each other. I think there's hairs up on the back of people's necks and all that kind of stuff. I've always wanted to ask a musician of that type of level of songwriting how often they've felt that when recording songs saying, hey, I know that people are going to really like this. We love this, but I really know that people are going to like this. Because I've also mm. read stories where people are like, yeah, we were going to leave that song off the album because we thought it was, yeah. you know, bollocks. <laughs> and then, boom, it was number one hit bollocks. You know, it's a lot of lot of those. There so a lot of those stories. But there's just as many where they wrote it and knew the second they did that they had something that they'd never done that was something different and special. So, you know, songs come from and deliver in all different kinds of ways, you know, they do. And they're, it's fascinating how some of these songs hit you differently and how in the making they hit the musicians differently and the artists as well as they made it. You know, you keep mentioning uh, Norman, uh, what's his name? Petty. Norman Petty, but some of the other writers of Buddy Holly songs besides Buddy Holly are Roy Orbison. You got two lips that look so fine. You got one heart I wish was mine. Love, sweet love, you got... You had uh, Sonny West. Ahmet Erdogan wrote a song or two for Buddy Holly as well. You know what I found out? Ahmet Erdogan wrote a song for everybody back in those days. He got everybody to record at least one of his songs, Seriously? including Ray Charles. Yeah. Whoa. What's, what Ray Charles song? And you know, Marcus, I only know this because I recently rewatched the movie Ray. Mess Around. Remember that song? Yeah. Mess Around is the one that Ahmet Erdogan wrote. Wow. Ray was struggling, I think, with writing the next thing or finding the next thing, and he brought it in, and they sang it in the studio. There's a great scene in the movie. Uh, if you haven't watched the movie, Ray, in a while, check it out. Growing up in West Texas, Buddy and the guys, they had a lot of influence. Uh, there's that scene where they do the country sound with the stand-up bass, and then they start rocking it and spinning the stand-up, right? Oh, yeah. Um, they were, but they were influenced by Hank Williams and Jimmy Rogers, Hank Snow, Bob Wills, and the Carters. They were all big influences on anybody who was doing music they listened to the grand old opry they listened to the louisiana hayride and the big d jamboree do you think they listened to the blue stations back then too as well and some of the uh black stations or the r&b stations i don't know how they were labeled i think that the crickets were all listening to the opry and the louisiana hayride and the big d jamboree in the same way that the zz top guys were all listening to the x station so they had commonality in that in their early playing but when the rock and roll came in, they just took all that and put it aside and created something new, which turned heads because they weren't doing the same rock and roll formula that everybody else was. They were creating new stuff. That's true, but they had to have a sole influence of some sort that creeped in along the way because there's no way that they could have creeped into the black charts or the R&B charts or the soul charts without that. 
I looked and I didn't really find it, but I suppose you could go and find the uh, sonic connections that create that. And through this whole discussion, Marcus, and our research for this episode on Buddy Holly, it's been clear to me now why I have records that I know were like one after the other in their release time back in the 50s on Brunswick and Coral, different bands and same songs and different names because of all the stuff that we discussed about the label strategy that Petty had developed. So now something that really has been a question in my mind, a small one, but a question in my mind for a long time is answered here on the podcast. And hopefully some other lights went on over people's heads. Like, hey, yeah, me too. We both learned a lot during the research of this project as far as Buddy Holly goes and the people around him. Because even the survivors, as we move forward, had an influence on rock and roll and the direction of music in some ways. Waylon Jennings, a huge player in country music. Sonny Curtis and the Crickets moved forward without Buddy Holly and then wrote I Fought the Law, which was uh, made famous I by somebody else. That. I can't so remember. The band that cover that did it that made it more famous and i can't remember the, the bobby name. fuller four yes the bobby fuller four made it famous and then of course you had the clash do it and then of course green day and a few other bands after that have done it since as well so but yeah sonny curtis and the crickets wrote it bobby fuller four made it famous the clash really made it famous and green day continued to plug it all right yep yeah. it all fell out of the crickets and the buddy holly influence and i wonder if that was a song that they had been working on that guy was always writing music he was one of those guys who was just always writing songs walking down the street he hears a noise and he's like oh my god that's a riff and then he's got to run home and probably play the riff you know that's where he was as he drew to the end of his life not thinking that he was around the corner he was sick of the status quo and he's always trying to break free and evolve part of the tragedy that we kind of touched on earlier is the fact that we don't know what would have come out in 60, 61, 62. What would have been the influence on the British invasion if, if, if Buddy Holly was still there and uh, releasing rock and roll? Would there have even been a British invasion had uh, Buddy Holly been alive and continued, which is actually an interesting question of fiction. Could he have filled the gap of Elvis going in the service and kept rock and roll from the U.S. Mm. on top of the charts and repelled a lot of it? I don't know. We'll never know. We can talk about it here on the podcast without getting too heavy about it. Also, the year of the inaugural class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you said, was 1986, correct? Yeah. He would have been 50 years old or so. I think he was born in 36, 37. 36. So he would have been about 50 years old at that point. Can you imagine 50 years of Buddy Holly or 30 years of Buddy Holly at that point? Holy shit. I'm, I'm thinking about the same. I've had those same thoughts about Jimmy and Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Janice. I mean, Janice, you have all of them. Richie, I mean, Richie Valens, I wonder what he would have done. That kid was a great songwriter, too, and he had electric energy, man. That kid had energy. And uh, required viewing, if you want to know more about him, is the movie La Bamba. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips does a great job as uh, Richie, and it's uh, the tragic telling of, of the end, but it also tells about this vive for life. Mm-hmm. All of those guys. He broke down yeah. barriers, too. Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. Maybe we'll watch La Bamba together and get real bongosophical and then do an episode. I'd be down with that. That'd be a lot of I fun. I figured you would be Hell my bongosophical yeah. brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great time for music, and this is a great time to talk about for music because it explains a lot to how we got to where we are. And where we are is at the end of our love fest professing it all for the great Buddy Holly. We'll get together soon. Don't worry. You can always find any episode you've missed or anything like that on our website, imbalancehistory.com, or on the Pantheon Podcast Collective. You know where they are. And uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple and Spotify and... uh, Castbox. Great places, everybody. So let's uh, call it an episode for good old Buddy Holly. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. Let's get together soon and share another episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Some folks don't stop till they find the truth. June's Journey is a Roaring Twenties murder mystery hidden object game. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android or iOS devices and on PC through Facebook games. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.